Good morning. So today is Mission Moment, third Sunday of the month, and I'm about a month behind on speaking to you about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, because as we all know, Christmas has come and gone, but there's a catch. You can go all the way through the month of January and still call it the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. <laughs> so that's what I'm here to speak about today. And if you look in um, where your hymnals are, your Bibles are, you'll see that there's a uh, you'll see that there's a flyer in there. It looks like this. See the lady on the front. See the little kid on the back. And uh, you'll notice in the week of prayer also that there are many different prayers that they have in here uh, talking about the missionaries and where they are in Czechoslovakia and Czechia and Turkmen, Southeast and South Asia and in Taiwan, I believe. So anyways, what, when I saw this pamphlet, it kind of brought back some memories because when you look on the back side of this, you see a little girl walking on a muddy road. You see a dog. I think she's there was a chicken behind the dog. You see that the buildings are pretty decrepit. You see it's mountainous and it's wet. And now, this little girl, I have to tell you, she doesn't live in Bolivia. She lives in Peru. I know that because the hat she's wearing, little girls in Bolivia, right next door where I grew up, don't wear that hat, but the little girls in Peru do. But it's almost, with the exception of the hat, it looks just like that. It's wet, it's cold, it's hard to make a living. And I've heard it said that it's difficult for a rich man to get into heaven. They say it's as difficult for a rich man to get into heaven as it is to get a camel through the eye of a needle. And I understand that's a little door, but it's a difficult thing. You had to get your camel down and shuffle through. Rich guys had camels. But I have to tell you something. It is very, very difficult to be poor and to focus on things like eternity because you're always struggling. You're always working. Everything you do is hard. To go out and find sticks, to put them in your little thing on the, that she's carrying on her back, you notice she has a little serape on and they put this thing on, the, on their back and put sticks, and they have to go find sticks, and there aren't a lot of trees. They go find all these sticks. They bring them home. They cook them inside with smoke-filled room, dirt floors. So everything is hard. You can't just hit a button and have it warm or turn the stove on. And I think poor people have it just as hard as the rich man would have to get into heaven because they're so busy doing life and taking care of things and I remember that when I was a little boy growing up down there and um, I also know that the people that go there to help them have to be extremely dependent on God because you don't go down there and have a job and then be a pastor at the same time it doesn't work out that way so my dad my mom and my dad um, went down as missionaries in uh, 1967, and there, they were there until um, 
late 70s, and then went down to Mexico for six or eight more years after that, well after I was out of the house um, and did that. And what I'll tell you is this. Todd preached on this the other day, and it's related to a couple different things. I found this um, really apropos. But in the case of, uh, of what I'm talking about here, what, what does a missionary do? And it says, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. And I, I thought that that was appropriate to a missionary also. That by going there and being patient and kind to people, that you'll change people's hearts. Because they'll see and learn more by watching you than standing on a corner and handing out pamphlets. So I ask you to pray, look at that week of prayer that's in there. And pray for those people that are doing that. And please pray that this works for them. And this is in 2 Timothy. I also want to thank you because I'm looking at the, uh, I'm on the leadership team as part of being the missions guy. And um, I'm keenly aware, because I like, you get a bulletin, and it says in there what our monthly budget requirement is and what the giving has been. And what I'll tell you is I've been ex exceptionally impressed with how well the folks in this church have been listening and understanding and practicing what the book of Malachi says. Because it says, bring in the tithes, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. And here's the, here's the upside, because that's all we're required to do right there. But God puts a promise on it. He goes, if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I'll open up windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Then he says, your crops will be abundant, for I will guard, guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven armies. I just think that those who are giving will receive God's blessing. And I'm glad that you're giving it, and I hope that you continue to give it and that you live in his blessing. I would also ask you to consider giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and as it says on the back of your pamphlets, 100% of your gift goes to missionaries who are doing this work out in the field. So will you pray with me for them? Heavenly Father, I'm grateful that we have the opportunity to participate in the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. I'm grateful for your missionaries who are there to speak to folks who probably won't hear your word from anywhere else. I ask for them to be patient and kind and that their actions will turn people's hearts to you.
I'm also grateful for those who are donating and giving in this church. And I ask that you would bless them and that, as you said, put you to the test. See what you will do. Please do that. Please follow through on your promise and bless those folks. Ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Dan. We're going to open up to Exodus chapter 28 today. And uh, we're going to talk about what the priests would wear. I know you're fired up about it, aren't you? I can see it in your eyes. You've been waiting for this chapter of Exodus, right? Um, I do want to share with you, though, as... Uh, um, one of my one of the things that I just continually am uh, just feel blessed by is um, you know as we as we go into uh, our, our our objective is to to work through God's word systematically so that God speaks to us through the entirety of His word um, and uh, because of that it takes us a while to get through. A book of the Bible because our objective isn't getting through the book of the Bible. Our objective is to hear the word of the Lord and to have himself revealed uh, to, to us and uh, to have our lives impacted by what he says. And so we don't concern ourselves too much with how quickly we move along here, uh, but rather how, um, uh, how well we move uh, through his word together. And um, and so one of the blessings that I have is as I uh, endeavor to bring God's word to you and, and to, to together find out what it is that the Lord would speak to us through his word uh, is that there are many times where, where um, in the process of doing my digging and preparing, uh, I just am blown away by just how God reveals himself. And, and sometimes through uh, passages that I did not expect it uh, to happen in the way that it does. And, and today, I would consider one of those passages. Um, it's about Exodus uh, 28. It goes through the garments that the priests were to wear. And uh, it talks about what they're to be made of and kind of how they connect together. And, uh, and, and it's... Um, it's a challenging read, to be quite honest with you. Uh, but then as we dig down into it, I, I, and I hope that I can, can help you see this today, as we dig down into it, what we find is the heart of God revealed. And that the priests were invited to share the heart of God for the people. And so what they wore had everything to do with a revelation of God's heart for His people, and they're sharing in that, and carrying, um, bearing the weight of of representing God's people whom He loves to 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 God Himself, and uh, there's some implications for that for us today as believers that I wanna I wanna make our way towards. So. 
One thing I want to, before we read though this morning, and we're going to try, we're going to have to try and uh, move fairly rapidly through this, uh, otherwise uh, we'll, we'll be here a long time. Uh, I know that's scary to hear me say that, isn't it? Uh, so anyways, we, uh, just to lay some groundwork, one of the things that's important for us to understand is, is because of the sinfulness of mankind, we require a mediator to connect with our Creator. We, we, need, we need a go-between because we, we are sinners and we are separated from the glory of God. We are incapable of bridging that gap. And we require somebody to stand between and make that connection to the God who loves us. And, and the, 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 um, the laying out of, of the priests and them being called to serve as human mediators, it's, it's imperfect and it points forward to one who is perfect. Hebrews brings to light that Christ is our great high priest. So while the priests here um, are called to some pretty big things, weighty things, uh, that they really are not fully equipped to do perfectly, it points to our Savior who was perfectly equipped to be the perfect mediator for us, to bring us into um, fellowship with our Creator, with our Lord, with our Father in Heaven. And uh, so, in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Me. There, there is really only one medi- mediator who can perfectly bring us near to the Father. And, uh, and then in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. So there is one mediator and these priests were given the task uh, before Christ came, it, the, Yahweh had commissioned a, a line of priests to be the ones who, who represented sinful man before their holy God. Now that 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 would that would terrify me quite honestly <laughs> uh, to be put in that position, um, and we're going to look at this this big weight that was was placed upon the priests. So let's look at uh, Exodus chapter twenty-eight. We're going to start in verse six and. Um, Move along here, and, and there are some things that I want to look at. One of the things I want to look at is uh, the function of the garments that, the, that are designed here for the priests to wear. And then I want to look at what that reveals about the heart of God. And then we're going to kind of finish with uh, looking at then at how we have been invited to share in the heart of God and, and what that has to do with the way we live our lives. So, Exodus chapter 28, verse 6. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen, skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges, so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it, and be of one piece with it, of gold, blue, purple, 
and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. You shall take two onyx stones. Now I want you to pay attention to, to this and then also on the breast piece there's something similar that happens. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on the one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree and you shall set the, st- the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod. So the, the ephod is, is something that the priest wears. I couldn't describe it to you completely because there's enough ambiguity here that uh, um, it's something that they wear and it has something to do. There's some shoulder pieces that are a part of this. And uh, these two stones are set into that, the two stones bearing the names of the sons of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. So a representation of the whole of God's people. And you shall set the stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords and you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. Let's keep going here. You shall make a breast piece of judgment and skilled work. In the style of the ephod, you shall make it. Of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen shall you make it. It shall be square and doubled a span its length and a span its breadth. You shall set in it four rows of stones. Pay attention here. A row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row, the second row, an emerald and sapphire and and a diamond. And the third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. So once again, we have the representation of the entirety of God's people Uh, being woven into, built into uh, the pieces that the garments that the priests are to to wear as they come before the Lord. Um, So, let's see, where was I? Verse 22, You shall make the breast piece twisted, uh, twisted chains like cords of pure gold, and you shall make for the breast piece two rings of gold and put the two rings on the two edges of the breast piece and you shall put the two cords of gold in the two rings at the edges of the breast piece. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of filigree and so attach it in front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. So it's all kind of tied together here. Uh, you shall make two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breast piece and it's inside edge next to the ephod and you shall make two rings of gold and attach them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod and they shall bind the breast piece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod so that the the breast piece shall not come loose from the ephod so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breast piece of judgment on his heart. 
when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. So I, I hope that you're, you're starting to see here that there is a, a purpose in the construction, of the, in the design of what God is having the priests to wear, that part of the function here is going to be a representation of the whole of God's people for the priests. That as they go before the Lord, that, that these are set upon the shoulders. The names of Israel are set upon his shoulders and upon his heart as he goes before the Lord to represent them before the Lord. In uh, verse, verse 30, And in the breastpiece of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, which we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit here, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. So what we're going to do is I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about the actual garments themselves, but I do want to talk about their function and what they reveal. And the first thing that I want to look at is uh, that, that the priestly garments reveal as we take a look at the ephod and, and the breast piece uh, that the Lord has in the design here is the first thing is that it reminds the priest that they stand before Yahweh on behalf of their people. So as they come before the, the Holy of Holies and stand before uh, the, the Sovereign Lord and Creator, the One who saved them out of Egypt and, and continues to protect them and provide for them, and who also stands as their judge, uh, both Savior and, and judge for those who disobey, that, that they come before Him bearing the names of their people. This is significant, and we're going to kind of double back to the implications uh, later about that that has for us. Um, but I, this is highly significant, that they go before God bearing the names of, the, uh, of their own people. Um, th- this is a heavy responsibility that the priests are given. So while we, uh, I think I historically and, uh, have thought of the priests as sort of these, I don't know, sort of self-righteous, uh, haughty-totty, just uptight, uh, better-than-thou kind of, kind of people. But the, what the Lord has called them to in their service as priests is to bear a great weight of responsibility a role that is, is just saturated, if they live it out, saturated in humility, where they are servants of all. They're servants of God, and they're servants of their people. And they bear this huge responsibility of bearing the names of God's people before their holy and righteous God. Now, there was only one who did this perfectly. His name was Jesus. Look at John chapter 17, verse 9. In fact, in, uh, in the ESV, it has this little heading above John chapter 17 that says the high priestly prayer. Jesus is our great high priest. And as we read John 17, Jesus is, is praying to the Father. And he prays for disciples. He prays for what's about to happen. He prays for believers in general. And here's what he says. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. 
Jesus understands in this moment, right before his crucifixion, as he's praying to the Father, that, that his role is to bear the weight uh, of, of, the, of God's people, those whom he has called, those whom he is saving, that he represents them to the Father and they belong to the Father. This is what the priests were called to recognize. That his people belong to him, but they are bearing some responsibility, some weight in coming before the Lord for, on their behalf. And Jesus represents this perfectly. He fulfills this perfectly in bringing us before the Father to appeal for us, to pay the ultimate price for us. The second thing that, that, this, that the garments do is it's a reminder of sin that hinders the hearing and communicating um, with God. The hearing from and communicating with God. Now, this might not be too obvious right up front here, um, although we might agree that foundationally this is a truth, that sinful man uh, is not going to be able to have an intimate fellowship with the, with the holy and righteous God. Uh, we understand that. There's a separation. There's a, there's a, there's a gap between us. And um, we need someone to bridge that gap for us so that we can know Him and have fellowship with Him and hear from Him, to have Him speak to us. And His people longed to hear from Him, and God longed to communicate with His people. So don't miss that. We need to understand that as, as the priests were called to, uh, to represent His people, and as the priests were called to bear some responsibility of communicating to God's people on His behalf, and of and, and by uh, virtue of their position to communicate with God on the people's behalf, um, that the heart of God revealed here is going to be that he, he loves His people, He cherishes His people, He wants fellowship with His people, He wants to communicate with His people. But, they, but there is something preventing and hindering that communication from happening. And this is where the ephod and the urim and the thummim um, we see them come into play in God communicating with His people. Now there's some ambiguity and there's some weird things that happen with the Urim and Thummim as you go on and throughout the Old Testament that where it gets way off track, really wacky, and turns into some idolatry and, and stuff like that. But the original design of the ephod and the Urim and the Thummim was a vessel for God. It was a merciful vessel for God to be able to communicate judgments to His people. So when truth was concealed, His people would come before Him with the Urim and the Thummim, and God would use those to, to sort of reveal where the truth was. So they would come before, in the case of 1 Samuel, there's an example where, where um, uh, there's uh, a Saul... Uh, has a, a question for who's guilty, who's not guilty, and they use the, the Urim and the Thummim that are called upon for God to judge where the truth was. And so there was something, and for you and I, it's a bit like, it would probably sound just mysterious, like rolling dice or something, um, but God used that as a vessel for helping His people to understand the truth and to reveal truth, to communicate with them. Now, the heart of God here is that He communicates with His people and His people need to hear from Him. 
And so that's where this comes into play. And so one of the things that the Urim and the Thummim and the Ephod reminded the priests of and the people of is that there was a hindrance between them and God where they could not just communicate freely with him, but they were also reminded that God had provided a way for him to communicate with them. So he desired that even though it was hindered. Jesus... um, of course, is the, the perfect fulfillment of this. We look at John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. Jesus says to his disciples, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus has invited us into fellowship and intimate communication with our Creator, with our, with our Father in heaven. He says, Come and ask. We've been, we've been invited to approach the throne of grace where, where here in, in, in Exodus, the people are separated from the throne of grace. They're separated from being able to draw near to God. They're separated. There's a hindrance from being able to hear from Him. Jesus says, come, talk to me, hear from me. I want to answer you. And, in, uh, and that course is on the heels of in John chapter 14, verse 6, Him saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. So if you come to the Father through Him, he, we have this invitation to make requests to Him and that He desires to respond with answering those requests. In Romans chapter 8, it goes even farther than that. So not only has God restored our communication line with Him uh, through our Savior Jesus Christ, but He has also given the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So one of the problems we have, this side of heaven, is that even though our our ability to communicate with, with, with our Creator, with our Lord, has been restored through Christ, we still have some hiccups in that. Some difficulties in that. Uh, part of it is our finite under, ability to understand what God is doing and who He is. Uh, part of it is, is a, a, still a wrestling with our sinful nature. Um, those desires that we brought into our relationship with Christ that He has, has forgiven us of that sin and, and told us to put that down and now to walk in the newness of life, yet we still kind of wrestle with some of those things. Um, they're just we have an earthly perspective we don't yet have a a fully heavenly spiritual uh, lens to be able to see clearly through Uh, we see glimpses of it all but not clearly yet but the holy spirit god has given us his spirit so that when we pray when we communicate with him and we don't know what to say god has given us a way to still say it through the power of the spirit so the ephod and the urim and the thurim, they are a reminder that there's a hindrance there um, from sinful man to be able to communicate with holy God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that has been restored. And you and I are invited to have that communication now with Him. The third thing is this, and actually we're going to continue reading here, verse 31, before we hit that third point. It says, you shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. It shall have an opening uh, for, uh, map, all right, for the head in the middle of it. 
with a woven binding around the opening, like the opening in a garment, so that it may not tear. On its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem, with bells of gold between them, a, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, around the hem of the robe. So on the hem of the robe we have these bells. Uh, verse 35, And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he does not die. Now I'll confess, this is a little bit of a curious read. Like, okay, so he has bells on his robe so that he doesn't die. What? All right, so what we need to understand here is that this, this is a, the, the bells are on the robe are a reminder that man just doesn't walk into the presence of God casually. This is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Holy of holies. We don't just approach Him uh, on a whim. And so the bells are, are a way that kind of announce the coming and going of the priests before the presence of the Lord. Not for the sake of the Lord, like, like, like God's like pouring a cup of coffee and here's the bell. It's like, oh, I've got company, right? And, and runs over to, you know, that's, that's not what's going on here. The Lord obviously knows what's going on. It's, it's for the priest. So that the priest has this means of reverently approaching the Lord. So the bells on the robe are sort of like, I don't know, you see a... a like, like in the old days, and you, you enter into like a, a, a ball or something, and there's somebody at the door that says, announcing the arrival of Mr. and Mrs. blah, 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 right? It's, it's sort of like that, only without the pomp associated with it. It's, it's, it's a means of reverence before the Lord that, Lord, I'm, I'm coming into your presence. Uh, okay? <laughs> It's, it's a reverent approaching of the Lord, giving Him sort of a warning, if you will, that I'm coming, um, so as not to be approaching casually into the presence of the Lord. Which, which this, this is uh, such a beautiful thing that has happened now through the gospel, through Jesus Christ, is that Jesus Christ has torn the veil that separated the holy of holies from the holy place, meaning the, the symbolism in that is that he has thrown wide the gate for sinful people as, uh, in repentance to approach him freely. Uh, Jesus had sinners approaching him all the time. And, and we would have contextually in that culture said these are the sinners of the sinners approaching him and he never turned them away. Never. There was a standing invitation for all sinners to all repentant sinners to come to Christ. And so we've been invited to approach the throne of grace boldly, the scriptures say, through Christ. So the third thing is this the garments reminded the priests that they represented a broken and sinful people before a holy God. That sinful man can't just waltz into the presence of holy God. First Peter, though, uh, says something about Jesus that, that is so incredible. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Do we have that? Or are we having some technical difficulties back there? 
We have First Peter chapter 2. Bam, there it is. Good work back there. Uh, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So Jesus Christ dealt with our sin on the cross. He bore our sins. Sinful, uh, sinful people, Jesus Christ represented before the Father and gave his life for us. Luke chapter 22, verse 41. And he withdrew. I want you to uh, go here because to understand that the priest, as they approached the Lord, were to feel the weight of their responsibility. Look how Jesus approaches the Father. And he withdrew from them. This is right before his crucifixion. About a stone's throw away and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We have, we have 43 and 44 on there. Is that all we have? All right, it goes on to talk about how he was, he was just in agony over what was about to happen in his crucifixion. And he was sweating drops of blood. Jesus felt the full weight of representing a sinful man, us, before holy God. And bearing the weight not only of representing us, but also taking on upon himself our sin before the Father. That he gave his life to, to, for the judgment upon our sin so the bells are a reminder of that. There's also a curious other thing that is a reminder that they are sinful man representing, or they, that they, are, they themselves are sinners representing sinners before a holy God. And that is this curious thing towards the end of Exodus 28. And uh, we'll just call it what it is. That's underwear. They had some special underwear that they had to wear. Um, and... Uh, the point of this was a reminder that they are sinners approaching a holy God. And there needs to be a covering. Like in the garden, when did Adam and Eve recognize they were naked? After they sinned against God. So their nakedness was a reminder of guilt. A reminder of the shame of rebellion against God. And so for the priests, there was an undergarment, some underwear that they wore as a part of the garments that they were to wear that was a covering of nakedness, a covering of the, the shame and guilt associated with being a sinful person. And the fourth thing is this, that there is a reminder in the garments that his people are his, that the people are Yahweh's. Look at uh, verse 36. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue, and it shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. So on his forehead, he has this thing that says, holy to the Lord. In other words, set apart for him. 
devoted to him. That God had chosen his people to live set apart for him. Now the priests were to be at the forefront of, of living that out. Living out a life that is devoted to, separated out for his people. In fact, in Malachi, this is one of the issues that, this is a major issue that God had with the priests in Malachi. Uh, It's a major issue that Jesus had with the religious leaders um, when he showed up on the scene. And that is because they were to be at the forefront of living out what it means to be holy to the Lord, belonging to him. Malachi chapter 2, verses 4 through 7 says, So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. Now, uh, the covenant with Levi has to do with the lineage of priests who, who are the mediators. Verse 5, My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave, uh, gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. This was the role of the priest, to turn people from sin to God. Verse 7, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Now the failure that gets pointed out in Malachi is that they had considered, the priests had, had start, begun to consider their responsibility a, a burdensome task that was just maybe a little too hard. And, and uh, rather than recognizing the holiness of God and the neediness of people and their role to be able to connect the two. Um, for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and a people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And so the priests were to lead the way in being wholly devoted to the Lord. And Jesus obviously was the perfect example of that. What did he say? He said, I came to speak my Father's words and I came to do my Father's will. That I came only to do and say what the, what the Father tells me to do and say. And so he, he set the perfect example of what that looks like to live wholly to the Lord. Uh, so just to, just to recap, let's recap those four points real quick. Um, so the priestly garments were to remind the priests that they stood before Yahweh on behalf of their people. A reminder that sin hindered hearing from and communicating with Yahweh. It reminded the priests that they represented a sinful people before a holy God and a reminder that they were Yahweh's people. Now here's what this reveals to us about God's heart. Number one, the priests were invited to share Yahweh's heart for all of his people. Uh, I think we'll have that, yeah. To share Yahweh's heart for his people. He loves his people. He cares for his people. He saved his people. In fact, again, in chapter 29, he's going to remind his people, uh, he's going to say to the priests, I want my people to be reminded that I rescued them out of Egypt and that they are my people and I am their God. This is what the Lord wants His people to know because He loves His people. He's passionate about His people. And He's inviting the priests to share that love and passion for His people. Secondly, that Yahweh desires to communicate and fellowship with His people. He has a desire to know and be known. 
And there's a hindrance in between. It's called sin. The brokenness of sin hinders that. But his desire is to know and be known, to communicate with his people and to have them be able to communicate with him. And the third thing is that Yahweh has a desire for his people to flourish and walk in his blessing. That holy to the Lord that's inscribed on the, on the forehead of the, of the priest, it says that, that they're to wear that before the Lord um, so that they may be accepted before the Lord. His desire is that they walk in the new life that he's brought them into and that they walk in the fullness of the blessing that he's laid out before them. This is the heart of Yahweh. This is the heart of God that he's inviting the priest to share in. So what does that have to do with us? Well, as they were to bear these things before the Lord and to share in the heart of God for His people, Jesus fulfilled all of this perfectly. And in likeness now to our Savior, Jesus, we are called to bear for the lost. Not in the same way that Christ bears for them. Those who are still, who still uh, are in sin, who still are separated from God because of their sin, who are still rebelling and rejecting Him, we are called to bear for them. Now, Christ bears for, for all of us in that He took upon our sin, His sacrifice for all of us. We don't bear in that way, but we bear in the way that we share in the heart of God. Like the priests were called to share the heart of God for His people, we are called to share the heart of Christ for those who are yet lost. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 says this, But you, believers, speaking to all believers, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You'll recognize the language there sounds very similar to what we read in Exodus. And even includes believers into the priesthood. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We have been called and set apart as belonging to God, a royal priesthood. What does that mean? Well, it means that we have a role in restoring sinners to God. That as God has restored us to Him through Christ, that we are actively looking for how we can help sinners be restored to Him. To further that point, in case you're doubting me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 spells it out, I think, even more clearly. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So God has reconciled to us. That means He has dealt with our sin. For those who have, who have come with repentance, 
before Him and faith in Christ, He has dealt with our sin at the cross. And now He has handed off a responsibility for us to call on others now to be reconciled to God through Christ. That, we, that God is making His appeal through us. We're His ambassadors and He's appealing to a broken and sinful world, a rebellious people, a people who reject Him. He's appealing to them through us, calling them back to grace, calling them to Christ, calling them to forgiveness and life in Him. And my question for us to consider today and I guess every day, is this. Do you share God's heart for sinners? Um, You're probably sitting here now because God loved you so much that, that, that He made it clear to you that He provided a way for you to, to um, be forgiven of your sin and become a child of God. And you're sitting here today because you have come to know the heart of God for you. That God loves you and did something incredible to save you and make you his own and give you a, a life that's eternal. My question is, do you share God's heart for others who are yet lost and without him? Are you as a royal priest of God and his ambassador to sinners? Are you grieved by those who still walk in darkness? God has brought us from darkness into His marvelous light through Christ. And now has called us to go back for the others who are still walking in darkness, to bring them into His marvelous light through His power and grace and sacrifice on the cross. Do you toil in prayer for their salvation? Do you intercede for them? On their behalf. As the priests were called to intercede for the people. To mediate between, uh, between them and God. Do you go before the Lord and say. Just it, feeling the, the, the weight. Of those who are yet walking in darkness. And standing in the path of God's wrath. Of an eternity apart from him. Do you feel the weight of that? Does it move you to prayer? Does it move you to serving them? Does it move you to sharing the good news with them? With every opportunity that you have. It's the mission that's been entrusted to us. And it's our reasonable response to what God has done for us. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to finish up here. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus' Jesus parting words. Before he, he... So he's... he's uh, given his life on the cross, he was buried, he was resurrected, and then uh, he walked, uh, um, uh, uh, spent, spent many days with believers, and, uh, and then he ascended into heaven. And before the ascension into heaven, this is what he said, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore <clears throat> and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God has handed off to us a responsibility to bring sinners into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And my question for us and for us to ponder and to really uh, sort out before the Lord is, 
are we sharing the heart of God? Does it bother us that there are people without Him? Or are we like, hey, I'm safe. I'm escaping the flames of hell, so we're cool. Or do we feel a grief inside of us for those who are standing in the path yet of His judgment? Does it move us to intercede for them? Does it move us to stand in the gap and say, Lord, reach these people like the heart of Abraham when when God says He's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham says, Lord, isn't there some that can be saved? That we have, we share in the heart of God. The Lord loves you so much that He gave His life for you. And if you haven't embraced that by faith, I invite you to do that today, to give your life to Christ, the one who gave his life for you, the one who, who, who is your mediator, the one who, who keeps uh, the wrath of God from being poured out on you because he took it upon himself. Will you embrace him today as your Lord and your Savior? And if you have, will you embrace the heart of God that he has for those who still haven't embraced him? that you would take upon yourself to reach those whom God has put in your path to reach with the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have have revealed your heart to us. And Lord, we just ask that you would have our desires be in line with yours. That the things that uh, move you would move us that the lostness of so many would move us, would grieve us, that, Lord, we would be moved to take action, whether it be through prayer, whether it be through, through acts of service, whether it be through, um, Lord, the sharing of your word and, and the leading them to the truth of the gospel. Lord, that we would do whatever you put in, in, in our path to do, Lord, to restore them to you, to reconcile them to you. Lord, let us have the, the heart of Christ towards each other and, and towards the lost. That, Lord, you would um, Lord, just help us to understand more and more what it means uh, to be a child of God and how great this blessing is that you have given us through Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand with me? Well, you, church, have been invited to share the heart of God. The heart that He had for you to reach you, to, bring, to win you to His family, laying His life down for you. He asks you to share that same heart for those who have yet uh, rejected Him and have yet to turn to Him and receive Him by faith. So the question for you is, will you step into that? Will you allow God to fill you with that same heart that he has borne for you and bears for others? Will you carry that? Will you be faithful? You know, the Bible says that there's rejoicing in heaven when the sinners repent and come to faith in Christ, when they give their life to him. Will, will you live your life in a way that there's more rejoicing in heaven because of, of the way you choose to live your life 
in reconciling people to him. I, I hope there's a lot of rejoicing that happens in heaven through this church body. Um, and uh, I'm so thankful to be able to walk with you guys. And I just pray that we will be faithful to fulfill the task that he's given us and be open to sharing in his heart for those who are still without him. So I want to, to encourage you to walk in that way, church. And as a reminder, um, I have some colored pens, some really cool colored pens up here um, so that you can come up here and leave an encouraging note for Dolores to just spur her on in her walk with Christ uh, through her current struggles to remind her that she's a part of a big family and um, we're all, we're all, we all have a great Savior and uh, he never leaves us and forsakes or nor forsakes us. And so would you just leave her an encouraging note before you go today? Um, I appreciate you guys. Lord bless and keep you.